coming too? I had a good morning. Ted, are you ready too? Because, okay, good. Whew. Mornings when there's lots of things to figure out are really fun. Um, yeah, if you want to sign up to help on the tech team, you know, to, wait, Rebecca and Rodell aren't in here yet, then I could say it louder. Um, anyways, we could use help on the tech team in the booth, up there. It's very easy. And if Mindy messes up, don't look at her. She's helping me in there today with <laughs> music slides. So we have a couple songs to uh, open with this morning. And then Bryce will continue this series, Politics and Religion. So sit or stand as you feel comfortable. And Matt, you can start, but I'm going to pray before we actually sing, okay? God, good morning. Thank you for bringing each one of us here safe this morning. God, I know for me, I need you to just calm my mind and my heart and let my focus be completely on you this morning, in this moment. God, help us to, each one of us, to bring everything to you, to lay it all out right here this morning. And awake our soul, God. Give us a fresh insight to live for you and to be an example to the people we come in contact with. God, rejuvenate us this morning as we sing our praise and worship to you. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And together, your church said, Amen. Breathe on me, breath of God, breathe on me. Breathe on me, breath of God, breathe on me. I come alive, I'm alive when you breathe on me. I come alive, I'm alive when you breathe on me. Awake, awake, awake my soul, God resurrect these bones from death to life for you alone, awake my soul. Speak to me, word of God, speak to me. To me, word of God, speak to me. I come alive, I'm alive when you speak to me. Oh, I come alive, I'm alive when you speak to me. Awake, 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 my soul.
became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so amazing love so is coming up here. Are we sending the kids right now? They're getting candy downstairs and stuff or what? Okay. Children can leave. But I wanted to share, I don't, some of you might know that I'm taking some cl a class or two here and there. But anyways, the professor asked this week, what have you learned from COVID and what do you miss because of COVID? And I thought they were interesting reflection questions that you can reflect your own self. Um, but I said I miss faces, and I'm standing up here this morning thinking, God, I miss seeing your faces sing at us. And what have I learned to get groceries in a timely manner? <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
unmask so you can read my lips. <laughs> hey, it's great to see you this morning. Welcome again. Welcome to all the folks online too. I appreciate you all, you folks in the room. If we can help you in any way, you can put a prayer request or whatever your need is on those envelopes in the programs and you can leave those in the buckets at the back of the church here. You folks online, if we can help you, send us a Facebook message or email or text or however you like to communicate. You could even call us. That would be fine. So uh, if we can help you, we will. So thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. After church today, you will have the opportunity to be judges in our pumpkin contest. And that'll be fun. I don't know if you looked at some of them coming in, but there's a lot more now if you, for some of you early folks. And uh, all the young people are going to receive nice gifts and candy because this is, this is a strange Halloween year for young people, isn't it? They don't often not have the opportunity to trick or treat. And I think those opportunities are going to be few and far between this year. So we have bags of candy and other treats for all the young people today. So that's, that's a fun thing. And... Uh, but then we'll also have some other gifts and prizes. So I hope you'll stay after church and peruse the pumpkins and vote for your favorite pumpkins after church. We're continuing on in our sermon series, Religion and Politics. And um, today's message is titled, Playing to Lose. Now Jesus didn't play to win, did he? At least the way we might define winning in our time and in our place. And I'll be honest, that doesn't sit very well with me. I mean, I, I like to win. Even when my football team's doing bad, I still like to win. I'm, hey, hey. <laughs> and uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever played me in a game of ping pong, though, you know that I am a competitive person. And if you play me in ping pong, you might get hurt. So, uh, I, I like to win. And it's not that Jesus was against winning, that's for sure. It's just that he was playing a completely different kind of game. He had different rules. A different type of win. Jesus played to lose. So that the other team, and that would be you and me, by the way, could win. That's why he never took sides. Jesus never took sides, politically, religiously, or otherwise, because that other side was never willing to lose or to give up what Jesus was willing to give up and, well, for the love of the other side. And so today, as we think about playing to lose, and another title, perhaps a better title to this message, could be Playing to Love. Let's think about that together as we hear the scriptures. You folks in the room can follow along in your programs. And I'm going to read the Philippians passage first, chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. Rather, he, that would be Christ, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And now reading from Colossians, chapter 3, verses 11 through 16. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. What's a Scythian? I'll talk about that. Slave or free, but Christ is in all. Christ is all. Therefore, as God's chosen, as God's chosen, did you know you're chosen? <laughs> you're a chosen people. Holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. It's a lot like the Galatians 
6-2 passage we read last week, bear one another's burdens, bear with each other, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, that would be the church, not two bodies, not two political parties, one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with grateful gratitude in your hearts. Let us pray. Holy God, we pray today for peace and unity in your church so that we might be a witness to your love to the world even during this divisive, difficult time. And all these things we give thanks. Lead us to be more loving. Amen. Democrats, you're wondering what I'm going to say. Democrats tend to date Democrats and tend to marry Democrats. Duh. Republicans also tend to marry Republicans, but they're not afraid to date a Democrat because they figure they're, they're entitled to a little fun first. <laughs> now, I could have told that joke in reverse, by the way, but I tell that as a little example of how we are so quick to categorize people into groups. So quick we put a whole bunch of people into a group, don't we? We think they're all the same, whether it's a political group, Democrats, Republicans. It's like we know them all. We know everyone in that group, how they think. How many times have you heard during this political season an ad it may be from the political candidate, or it may be from some other group that's promoting that political candidate. I understand that. How many times have you heard on these ads, which we're all getting tired of, I know, that all Democrats are socialists? It's not true, but you can probably think of one or a group of them that are but all Democrats are socialists. How many times have you seen that in advertising this time of year? How many times have you seen, or seen implied at least, in advertising this time of year that all Republicans are, are racist? <laughs> many ads. It's not true. And by the way, whenever you hear that word all, you know it's not true. <laughs> it's a basic rule in life and in evaluation. By the way, all Christians are socialists, you know that, right? Because, well, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 says that the early church held all things in common. They shared everything together. They were socialists. And by the way, you know that all Christians are, are racists, don't you? I mean, we just read that in our passage. We're chosen people. We're better than everybody else, right? <laughs> You see, mature and emotionally intelligent people don't fall for that kind of broad brush generalization. They don't categorize whole groups of people in a single swoop based on a single behavior or a single verse. And we also tend as human beings to look at other people's behaviors and we assume that that describes who they are at the very core of their being. And that's wrong too. Like if someone shows up late to a meeting, well, why is that? Well, it's because they're disorganized, they're lazy. Whereas if I show up late to a meeting, 
I've got a very good reason. It's because I was helping someone, helping. You see how that works. That's how our brains work. And then we so easily want to categorize everybody into groups of two. Two. It's because we have simple minds. That's the way we're made. Did you know that? It's been said that we have binary brains. Binary brains. That reveals the fact that we like to have things boiled down to two simple choices. Yes or no, right or wrong, on or off, Democrats, Republicans. That's why if we were to have a viable third-party candidate in this country, it would really mess us up. That binary thinking, you know, that, that's how computers work. I remember when I took my computer science class, my first one years ago, 1975, CDC 6500, it took the whole floor of the computer building at Michigan State University, and that's how it worked, by binary thinking, by switches, electrical switches. Either the switch was on or it was off, and that's how it directed the pathway of the electrons through the computer to come to a decision. You have two choices. That's how computers think. Don't think like a computer. I've told you that before. Don't think like a robot. Rise above that. Rise above the flesh. Prove you're not a robot. Think like a Christian. Apply that law of Christ, which is that law of love. And all of our political rhetoric and all of those ads we're seeing and we're all getting so tired of, it feeds into these human biases that we have and many more. And it leads us into saying and thinking things that aren't true. And worse yet, some of those ads inject what I call the fear factor. <laughs> I often think that political candidates, or at least those folks who are promoting them, are always trying to inject that fear factor. They're fear peddlers. You've seen the ads. Pictures of cities burning, riots right now. And if you vote, in the, both candidates do it. If you vote for this candidate, well, it's because their leadership has caused all this to happen. Don't vote again, otherwise it's going to continue. If you vote for this candidate, it's because this candidate stoked the flames of those fires by supporting these groups. They all use the same fear factor. You're better than that. <laughs> You're better than that. I know you are. Let's not let fear drive our thinking about politics or anything else. Fear does attract. Ad agencies know that. But so does faith. Faith is the opposite of fear in some respects. Faith and fear both attract. Fear attracts people who focus on past failures. And faith attracts people who are focused on future successes. And those future successes come when we choose to bear each other's burdens. When we choose to play to love, even politically. Have you ever thought about playing to love and voting based on the love of Christ politically? For others, not yourself, we'll come back to that. And to do that, to, do that, to get to that place of playing to love, and we have to put our faith first. We have to put our faith first. And if we put our faith first, then we're able to love, we're able to listen, we're able to learn, and we're able to understand, well, people, where they are, where they sit is where they stand, all those influences that affect them. And then, finally, when we're able to do that, we're able to, well, all those things that unite us instead of divide us, all those things that unite us will come to the surface like in verse 14 from our Colossians reading, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Perfect unity. 
And how do we get to that perfect unity? You see, the, every, the, the, the one issue that every Christian has to address to get there, every Christian has to wrestle with, is are we willing to put our faith ahead of our politics, even during this political season? That priority must be in place before we're ever going to get to that kind of unity Jesus and Paul and others were talking about. Jesus said the number one reason I want you to love each other was to prove to the world that this message, this gospel is true. In last week's reading, Paul said the number one thing I do, the reason I do it is to share the gospel. In other words, my faith is first. Vince Lombardi, we talked about this last week, said that three important things in your life are faith, family, and career in that order. Vince Lombardi said your faith has to be first. If we're going to claim to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to claim to be followers of Jesus, we must put our faith filters first. You know, I think we as Christians, as a church, we do the world a great disservice when we, when we try to wrap our political thinking, our political ideology into our faith. It doesn't work that way. Because Jesus did not come to advertise any particular political party. He didn't come to advertise for them, to support any particular platform. Even though both parties like to claim him, we talked about that. Everybody claims Jesus. Jesus is one of us, and if you're following Jesus, you should vote for us. But Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. And Christ's kingdom will always have conflicts with the kingdom of this world, regardless of which political party you support. You see, Jesus came to be a king that would reverse the order of things. The first shall be last, the last shall be first, the winners should be losers. He lowered himself, as we read in that Colossians reading, he lowered himself from this exalted God to a human. He played to lose. He played to love. When we filter our faith, when we filter Jesus, through any political platform. We rob the world of the incredible message of Jesus Christ. We rob the world of the message that has changed the world. Early Christians did this. They had to, to survive. That's why Jesus said to love each other, so you'd have unity, so you'll survive this time you're going to go through. Early Christians did this. They had incredible unity in the face of hardship. And all classes of people who rarely interacted came together voluntarily to worship. To worship this crucified God, this loser. This God who played to lose. And they were baffling people in the Roman Empire. Who are these crazy people? Why and how did they overcome this social order? How did they overcome racism and classism and sexism? And why would you worship a loser? Why would you worship a crucified God? Well, Paul says there's a new king in town with a new kingdom and a totally new makeup. Paul said, let me tell you something. With this new system, with this new king and new kingdom, we are all equal. Verse 11 from our Colossians reading, there's no Gentile or Jew, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, there's no barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, etc. Scythian. You know what a Scythian was? <laughs> I had to look it up myself this week. Don't feel bad. Some people thought that they were like slave soldiers, so barbarians, they're free soldiers, barbaric people, perhaps. Paul's making a comparison. Scythians, they were from, you know where they were from? They were from the region up near Ukraine and Russia. That's where they were from. <laughs> wow, how about if we read that that way? There are no Ukrainians or Russians. 
There are no Russians or Americans. Wow. That's a stretch, isn't it? There's no slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. We could say there's no male or female. Paul says that elsewhere in some of his other writings. We could say Paul is saying there's no Democrat or Republican. (laughs) There's no Democrat or Republican. And you know, because of that incredible unity... In that early church, they stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, people couldn't figure him out. Jesus announces this good news of his coming kingdom from the very beginning of his ministry. We know that. He says, I've come to share the good news of the kingdom. And we today as a church are stewards of that kingdom. That kingdom that is this upside-down world. We're stewards of that kingdom in our community. And that's why it would be so foolish for us as a church or any church to be divided over politics. Because what it does, it dilutes, or perhaps even pollutes, the very message of Christ's kingdom. It puts up barriers to the gospel. Ever think of that? It puts up barriers so that others might come to Christ and hear the gospel. Well, that's... That's hard to hear, isn't it? Yesterday at the men's group meeting, which, by the way, happens at 7 a.m. on Sunday or on Saturday morning, 7 a.m., that's before it's light. In case you wonder, it's hard to get up. But yesterday we were talking about signs, political signs, and I shared that the bishop sent all of us pastors. A note the week before last and said, oh, by the way, if you're a pastor and you're living in a parsonage, a church-owned house, you can't put a political sign in your front yard because, well, that violates one of our tax laws, if you will. Oh, and by the way, it's probably not a good idea anyways, even if you live in your own house. (laughs) And someone else in that group said, yeah, I, I don't put signs in my front yard because I don't want to alienate my neighbors. I don't know what they think politically, and I don't know what they think about Jesus Christ, and they may associate my particular political stance with the gospel, right or wrong, and I don't want to alienate them. I thought, wow, that person is thinking like a Christian. That person is putting their faith filter first. You know, 40 to 50 years or so after Paul was dead, after he had been beheaded, also about the same length of time after Peter was martyred, they were both executed under Nero's rule in Rome. Pliny the Younger, I don't know if you've heard that name, but he was a a Roman governor, I guess, bureaucrat at that time. And he left a collection of letters that are preserved. And they tell us a whole lot about what it was like to be a Christian in those days. And his boss, who I believe was Trajan, but was one of the higher-ups in the Roman emperor world. Well, at this point in time, you know, this is like 110 or something A.D., The Roman government is starting to get pressure, particularly around the edges. They're starting to lose battles. They're starting to decline. And the Roman emperors, the people in power, said, well, it's because people aren't worshiping our gods. They're not sacrificing to our gods. They're not loyal to our emperor and praising our emperor. And we want to round up all these people and kick them out of here. Then we'll start winning battles again. That sounds pretty political, doesn't it? (laughs) And then... So, Pliny the the Younger, he said, he got this message from his boss to round up all these Christians, make them comply, make them sacrifice to the emperor. He said, I got to investigate these people. I got to figure out what they're all about. And so he infiltrated them, probably captured a couple of them and roughed them up a little bit. And he writes a letter back to Trajan, and he said, you know, 
This is what I've discovered who these Christians are in our, in our empire and what they're doing. He says, the sum and substance of their error is that they meet on a fixed day of the wheat, week before dawn, before dawn, <laughs> and they sing responsively hymns to Christ as if he is a God. Sounds like that passage we read from Colossians, to sing psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God. That's what they were doing. He said that's the sum and substance of their error. And he further went on to write to his supervisor. He said, and beyond that, he says, when they're together, again, before dawn, they would bind themselves by an oath of unity to one another. Not, not to hurt anybody else, but so that they wouldn't hurt each other or hurt someone outside their community. They, they agreed that they would not commit fraud, they would not commit a theft, they would not commit adultery, they would not falsify their trust, nor would they refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. That sounds dangerous, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds revolutionary. We can't have people like that in our country, can we? Just think about it. See, in those days, Sunday was a work day. They had to get up before dawn and do their worship before they had to go to work. These were just common folks. What if we moved our worship service to 5 a.m. on Monday morning or any other workday morning? How many people do you think would come? Wow. But wouldn't that stand out to this community? <laughs> so, wow, these crazy people, they get up before dawn just so they can worship and pray. And the reason they would sing and worship with these hymns is because, well, a lot of them couldn't read, but even if they could read, they didn't have Bibles, they didn't have hymnals. They, they, some of them were Jews, and they remembered the psalms that they used to use in Jewish worship, so some of that was probably included. But they learned their theology about God, about Christ, through singing, through psalms, through hymns, with this spirit of unity. And again, that sounds a whole lot like that reading from Colossians, doesn't it? And when Pliny discovers all this, he thinks, these are some of the finest people in my community. And I'm supposed to round them up and, uh, and arrest them? That's why he's writing this letter to his boss. You see, this new kingdom order, these people aren't interested in sacrificing to the Roman gods. Rather, they feel directly accountable to God and to each other. There is this incredible moral component to their fellowship, to their community. There's an incredible ethical component. They're accountable to God. And they're accountable to each other, how they treat each other. And that's Christ's law, love each other like Christ loved us, that new commandment. Imagine what would happen in our community if we focused on those things. People would take notice. And Pliny's trying to figure all this out. Who are these Christian people who extend dignity even to folks who are outside of their class, to slaves, to Scythians, who worship a crucified God with no country? Their God has no country, no military, no political power. They do this by choice because he did this by choice. He lowered himself who are these people? These are our people. These are our ancestors of faith. These are our ancestors that taught us that losing is winning. We dare not be divided as a church over party lines or politics. We need to maintain unity even during this time. Because one day all these parties are going to be gone. 100 years, 200 years, someday in the future there won't be any parties left, at least as we know them. But Jesus Christ and his church will be left. 
If somehow these folks at that time under that kind of duress and persecution could focus on what was important, on what was in common, and what was unifying, then we have no excuse. And you know, their unity shocked the world. Ultimately, it changed that Roman world. Took a couple of more centuries, but they stood up and took notice and ultimately became a Christian empire. It may be impossible for you to understand how any Christian could think differently than you do politically or otherwise. But we are still called to love that person. We're commanded to love that person. And if you bear each other's burdens, if we bear with each other, that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. You don't have to understand me. And I know some of you don't. (laughs) Sometimes my wife doesn't either. You don't have to understand me to love me. (laughs) At least to love me is in action. (laughs) You don't have to understand me to love me. We can disagree and love unconditionally. Pray for unity in the church. Let's not miss this incredible opportunity that we're in. It's the opportunity of a lifetime to follow the king, to turn the world upside down, to love. And if we truly love, then we're able to listen. And if we truly listen, we're able to learn something from that other side. Because once in a life, once upon a lifetime, uh, not that long ago, a handful of Christians in that Roman Empire, threw up their hands and the empire crucified. A lot of people. But ultimately, they reversed the order of things. If we get this right, if we get this unity thing right, we're able to impact our world that same way. And I'm never going to ever suggest how you should vote, ever. You'll never see a sign in my front yard. Never. Not even for a local politician, even though that's kind of almost lame and okay. (laughs) You will never see a political sign in my front yard. But I do hope you'll vote. And I hope you'll employ some of the principles we've been talking about over the last several weeks to apply that law of Christ, to love one another as Christ loved us, throughout your voting discernment process, to love, listen, and learn, especially to those you may disagree with. And to vote, to lose, if you will. (laughs) Vote unselfishly, in other words. Most people vote in their self-interest, they do. You know that. If you're on Social Security, you vote for whoever you think is going to have the biggest, best Social Security check in the future. If you have a lot of stocks, you vote for whoever's going to be, you think is going to be best for the stock. We vote selfishly. We vote for ourselves. What if we voted for other people? For what we thought was best for other people? Wow. Wouldn't that make you and us stand out? Vote unselfishly, not in your self-interest. And pray before you vote and pray for unity after you vote for our church and for our nation. Amen. As we come to our time of prayer together, we're going to pray for some of those things I just talked about. We're going to pray for some folks in this congregation who have been struggling with health conditions. Not going to name them by name, but those of you who are connected by email or otherwise know who they are. Please take a moment now during our time of silent prayer and during your personal prayer time to pray for those who need God's healing grace. Pray for the coronavirus situation. We know that's been getting tougher in the local area, more difficult. Pray that we and you all do our part to continue to be 
as socially distant as possible. And then we'll close with the Lord's Prayer together. Play a few notes for us while we pray silently. Can you do that, Sheila? Enjoy a moment of silent prayer. Our gracious and holy God, who is so gracious and so loving that you came to this earth as a human being, so that number one, we might see God better through Jesus, and number two, so that you might restore us because of your great sacrifice, great as your great love for all of us, that you might reconcile us to you and to each other. We praise your name. Teach us as a church to be united around Jesus Christ. You are who we worship, nothing else. You and you alone. Help us to accept the responsibilities that we need to accept to live in this difficult world, this time of COVID-19. We sometimes don't know what to do and how to do it, but we ask for your guidance and your discernment as a body of believers and as individuals. For all these things and for all the folks that we have named silently in our hearts who need your healing touch We give them to you knowing that your will is perfect. We ask that you would comfort them and show us ways to comfort them as well. And now we pray together using the words that our Savior Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing hymn is, Just As I Am. The words should be on the screen if you want to hum along or follow along as you feel comfortable. I'll put my mask on and come down and sing or hum with you.
Amen. It was good to hear the organ, wasn't it? Thanks for joining us, you folks online. We'll say goodbye till next week. We pray you'll have a wonderful week. For those in the room, don't forget to go downstairs and look at the pumpkins and vote for your favorite pumpkin. All right.